There's a rumor in the world that sometimes the world doesn't like what preachers say. Did y'all know that? <laughs> yeah. Poor Stephen. Stephen is one of the first converts to Christianity. And he's been sent out to preach the good news. And we hear the tail end of his story after he has made some people very unhappy with him. And we hear it as a witness in this Easter season. A reading from the seventh chapter, the Acts of the Apostles, beginning with verse 51. Stephen is speaking. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of, your, which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open to the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears. And with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel according to John chapter 14, beginning with the first verse. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, 
and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are a lot of questions about morality in the world these days, and even popular TV shows are starting to ask the questions of what do we do now that our world seems to be unhinged from Christian morality? Where will we find a new morality, a new populist morality that we can all agree upon? Samantha and I were just watching a show this week that was struggling with that question. Some young people were wrestling with with Friedrich Nietzsche about that same question that he raises, unhinged from God, where will human beings find their morality? Anne Rand raised it in her two very popular but horrible to read novels that some of y'all had to read in high school. Is there a morality separate from the concept of God? Good question. It's a good question. You might say, well, why do we need a morality at all? How many of y'all show of hands have lost a friendship over something stupid? Come on, don't be, 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 be brave. Testify with me. Because if more of you don't raise your hand, I'm just going to have to give up. Anybody? Some of y'all. Something stupid. How many of you have lost a friendship over something that wasn't stupid? Like, big deal moral question, right? Where your friend disagreed with your stance, or you disagreed with your friend's stance, and it drove a wedge between you, and you know what it created? It created that thing that human beings fear the most. It created death. Did it not? That wedge that exists between you and that friend will never be healed by a human being. You can say you're sorry and ask them to forgive you, and they might say, well, I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. Forgiving and forgetting is the work of God. Reconciliation is the work that God does in us, and we are terrified of the death of not being in reconciliation. It haunts us. And so when we look to those relationships in our past that have been broken where people have literally become dead to us because of something that happened between us and that person, it haunts us and it scares us because we know that one day that same thing will occur between us and ourselves. That one day 
we will be disconnected from our very self by death. And the thought that we might cease to think terrifies us. Does it not? Rene Descartes taught us that we know that we exist because we think that if we didn't think, we wouldn't even know we exist, that we would just be windows to some other reality. Turns out, for most people, he's been right, that most of us, when we have conscious thoughts about something good, is when we feel most alive. Jesus is encountering his disciples in a moment when they are on the brink of being separated, not just from their hopes, but from the one who was their hope. He's been sitting at a table with them, enjoying the closest intimacy that human beings know other than the intimacy of a man and wife, which is table friendship. And he's just told them that one of the ones, that the one that he dips the bread in and hands it to will betray him. And in that moment that he gave Judas the the bread, John says that Satan entered into him and he left. And Jesus told him, go and do whatever you do quickly. And he was going to betray Jesus unto death. And he tells his disciples, very soon I will leave you. And these people who had followed him around for anywhere from two and a half to three years suddenly find themselves unhinged in the same way that you found yourself unhinged when your best friend of 30 years said, you're dead to me. Probably in a text message now because people don't have the courage to break up with friends over the phone anymore. And you experience that death of relationship and they were experiencing that, this possibility that he might vanish from their sight that his words might vanish from their ears, that his love might not be known to them anymore, that everything they'd experienced in them that had drawn themselves to him might suddenly cease to be. And we call that death. I'm not sure they understood him when he said he was going to be killed. I think they were hoping that he was wrong that it wouldn't turn out that way because he was the Messiah, that no matter what he said, things wouldn't happen the way he was saying them. But in this moment, I imagine that there was some pretty serious dread hanging in the air of that room. What do you think? I imagine that they felt pretty broken, that their hearts felt distorted and turned in on themselves, that they were asking the question, now what? What happens to me now? I've left everything for you. Could you imagine? The death of relationship was upon them. Even if they didn't understand that he was about to die, they understood that he was about to leave. And the death of a relationship was upon them. In our hymnal on page 871, you don't have to grab it, but you will find our service of death and resurrection. And in the first prayer of that service, we pray these words. Give us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we may see the light of eternity. Isn't that beautiful? That as we shrink before the mystery of death, we would see the light of eternity. Anyone who has known a broken relationship, or even the death of someone you loved knows 
that mystery of death that causes us to shrink in fear, that causes us to feel sorry for ourselves, that causes us to anticipate our own passing, that causes us to wonder if there's been any meaning or sense in our life at all. Were we just wasted carbon atoms or will our footprints make a difference? And then we pray, help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live. So that living or dying, our life may be in you, and that nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This we pray when we sit in this room with a body stretched out before us, with our hearts broken by the loss of relationship, with the reminder that we're next, that no matter what we may think, our death could come in the next moment, that this very breath you just breathed could have been your last, and we find ourselves in fear. It's that kind of fear that Jesus speaks into when he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Keep believing in God. Believe also in me. What are the things that most trouble your heart? Are they not the things that reveal your brokenness? Are they not the things that hint at your own destruction? Are they not those shadows of your own mortality that creep up on you when you remember those who are gone? Are they not the words and actions that destroy life, that break relationships and leave us fearing being abandoned and forsaken? What are the things that trouble our hearts? How will the shadows that leave us in fear and trembling be kept at bay? What things will we use to ward off death? Some people turn to drugs, to alcohol, to licentious living, to hiding, to refusing to think about it. Some people turn to burying themselves in their own misery. What are the people of God? What should we do? How is it that we might live as those who are literally prepared to die, who are unafraid of any broken relationship or brokenness in our own consciousness, of anything that death might present to us? How is it that we might live as a people who are actually free to live? Because, dear ones, if you live afraid to die, you're not really living at all. You're just living the rest of your life. But if you are in Christ, there is no concept such as the rest of your life. Over my professional career as an architect, I watched a couple of my colleagues check their stock market balances every morning. I told them they were going to drive themselves crazy. And they said, I have to know if I have enough money to live and I retire. And I asked one of them, what if you die at 62? And his face suddenly became blank. Because he had been spending so much time thinking of his life as that time from 65 until we stretched him out in a coffin somewhere. And that that was when his life would be good. 
Jesus is confronting that mentality in his disciples. Eternal life is now. Believe God, believe me. Eternal life is now. Keep believing in God, believe also in me. If I leave, it's just to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back and I will take you with me to be where I am. So dear ones, what shall we do? When the shadows and the threat of broken relationship and broken life swell upon us, when people remind us of our sins that break our relationship with God and break our relationship with others, when people throw up in our thoughts the things that we have done wrong, when people throw up before us things to try to dissuade us from the concept that we have anything other than just being like everyone else and being subject to death and being subject to misery and being subject to being hateful, being subject to looking at other people with mistrust and distrust and no trust at all. When people look at us and say that we must live in a way that preserves life no matter what. The question of do we believe in the resurrection is what they are asking us. Because if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then there is no end of life for us. So Martin Luther said this, When the devil or one of your closest friends throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Listen to this. And where He is, there I shall be also. Now the truth is, we don't really know here if Jesus is referring to dying and when we die, He's going to come be at our deathbed, take our hand, take us to heaven. Or if He's talking about the end of time. I think He's talking about the end of the time. You're free to think whatever you want to because that's the world we live in, isn't it? Both could be true. I don't know. Jesus didn't tell me explicitly how to interpret that text. But He does say right here in this text that when the weight of broken relationships either through sin or death, are haunting you to remember Him, to trust in Him and His resurrection. Because He is about the work of reconciliation, of reconciling us to God so that there is nothing left for us but life. Though my body may die, it will be raised. What have I to fear? Oh, dear ones, I asked you on Easter to write in your bulletin, Jesus was or is. I wonder if this text helps you see why that matters. Because if you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, then you have no reason to let your heart be troubled by sin and death in the world. Because you know a greater truth Jesus has defeated sin and death. And I remind you of that this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.